Welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. All right. Welcome, everybody. My name is Greg Ballard, and this is the Adaptive Executive. And I want to welcome our guest, uh, Ke- <clears throat> excuse me, Kevin Hannigan. Kevin is the Chief Learning Officer at Click, and he is also the author of Decision Making with Data. Kevin, welcome. Thanks, Greg. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. I really in, in, uh, want to get into this conversation with you. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background um, as, a, as a CLO and, and your background with decision making and data analytics? Absolutely. It's, it's an unusual journey. I think I actually started out technical as a computer science and math major in undergrad. Um, long story short, I, I really like balancing out, try, trying to keep that kind of um, balance. So balancing the technical side with more of the you know, organizational development, psychology, and education end. And it really, you know, evolved into really helping people learn how they can stay up to date and, and be agile, right, during this time of unprecedented change. So it's it's useful. I get to use both the tech side and the creative side and the, you know, a little bit of psychology in there as well. It's it's um, practical for sure. Absolutely. So you're the author of the book, Turning Data into Wisdom. What's the premise of the book and some of the concepts that you you convey yeah the, the premise of the book is that we all have to make decisions more so than ever before i mean you think about hundreds of thousands of years ago we had made decisions but they were survival decisions where do we find shelter how do we avoid a dinosaur and now with business everyone has data and everyone talks about this is great we have big data but the problem is the the challenge is with too much data, the brains can't necessarily process everything without relying on other skills that we don't continue to learn. Like I call them forever skills, whether it be challenging your assumptions. So what was true last week might not be true today. You know, when I went to university, cloud was a meteorology course. Now it's an IT course. So my brain remembers those things and we need to make sure that the brain stays up to date and, and mitigates any of those biases. So the book is around how do you have a framework for making decisions in life and in organizations, but how do you do it in a way that you can use the data, but then balance it with those forever skills so that you're thinking critically and you're thinking creatively and systemically about what it's really trying to tell you. I, I uh, dating myself, but there used to be this uh, game show, classic concentration, where there would be a puzzle and it was behind different blocks. And every time you answered a question, a couple blocks came uh, moved away and then at some point you saw the puzzle and you answered it that's what the book's doing the book is trying to give you all of the pieces of the puzzle so you can make the best decision without any blind spots interesting very interesting so when i'm thinking about data and decision making and and even moving people right with data and 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 educate me here but the the frame i usually come away with is how do i turn data into a story into a narrative and often what happens is, is we'll say the data is telling the story, but really the person's telling the story using the data and they're prioritizing certain parts of data and deprioritizing other parts. And then they get a narrative. Somebody else could come along and look at the same set of data 
and form a completely different narrative. So maybe you could speak to this little conundrum that we have here with data yeah. and narrative. Exactly. And I mean, people use it to their advantage and to their disadvantage. And that's why when we, we use the term data literacy a lot um, and, and people hear it, but they don't necessarily fully understand what it means. It's not just people making decisions with data. It's people who are the receivers of those decisions. So your point, the people receiving the storytelling, because a lot of storytelling and communicating with data, it, it works on our emotions as humans, right? It, if we tell a story with the data and research has proven this out time and time again, we're, we're more able to listen to it and, and make it our own and, and you know, believe it more. But at the same time, if, if we as the deciders are only giving those pieces of information that prove our point, like a confirmation bias, it's really up to the receiver of that information to think critically, to question. So it, uh, again, I always state this, it, you learn so much in first grade, right? You learn everything is why, right? You, my kids, I have four kids as well, and it's why this, why that. And then as you progress through school, you're not really allowed to ask the teacher why. It's like, because I told you, right? You're, you're supposed to memorize facts. So we forget how to question, but now fast forward to all what you just said is you have a narrative. We have to question it. We have to question, not that the data is factual or fictional, but whether it's another part of it, whether there's more context that's going to give us a different interpretation, but we don't use those questioning skills for like 20 years from when we're born to when we first go out into the workforce. So it's, it's a challenge for us. A lot of us don't have that in our behavior habit of just questioning. We just believe people to be true and honest and ethical, and they probably are, but they might be missing things. Absolutely. So so let's talk about this and let's let's uh, turn this into a little bit through your role and, and kind of from an adaptive perspective as an executive, you're the chief learning officer at Click. You have, you know, there's about 2,500 or more employees. You're close to a billion dollar company. What are some of the things you're doing in your current role that um, leverage data and, and, and adaptability? How do those two things come together for you? Absolutely. So, I mean, at the end of the day, our, our company is a data and analytics company. So we, we strive to make what I call data informed decisions with our strategy. So how we're going to go to market, what products we're going to bring to bear, how we're going to message this out is, is all driven with data. But as I said before, data, there's so much data. If you think about everything from our customers, everything from the environment, everything from what's happening in the economy, it's really about how do you find what's relevant to the question at hand, how do you think about it critically, and how do you, um, one of the words I'll use is unlearn kind of those old habits because things change so quickly. In, in a software world, right? We used to sell the software perpetually, people owned it, now we sell it through a subscription. So if I'm just going very quickly and I'm making a decision, I'm using the massive power of my brain to help me make that decision, but my brain's probably still in perpetual mode for the first year or two. And in giving me what we say our intuition, which is actually the brain going in and remembering things, but it might be outdated. So a lot of what we're doing at Click, and I think what other organizations need to do is focus a lot more. Um, I don't wanna say not focus on the technical skills, but focus more on these soft skills, these forever skills, focus on these mindsets, making sure you have a growth mindset so that you can be resilient so that you can be you know, able to unlearn the old in order to learn the new. And I think that's one of my big takeaways is we don't typically think about it, but when we learn a new paradigm in business or at home, 
we just think we're going to learn the new paradigm. We actually have to first unlearn the old one, and that takes time. So it's about getting yeah. the right tools to do that. And I want to I want to go into this because this is a space that we work in, which is that soft skills, and we utilize technology to help support the development of those and to measure them at scale. So data and soft, we can now measure soft behavior and drive those things in the organization. So I'm very curious, Kevin, from your perspective, um, maybe touch on some of those childhood things that we were able to do about questioning, and then maybe transition into some of those mindsets that you are actively looking to develop inside your organization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we are younger, the, I mentioned it, the first thing in the 100 times a day, we ask why, why, why. We're very curious. We're very creative. To, I'm going to interrupt you right there. I have four children. They're yeah. agents from nine to three and a half. And the why question is incessant. It's just incessant. But anyway, I had to say that. No, 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 but that, and I have four as well. Maybe that's why we stop saying it when we get older. It's like the most important question when we're older, but as parents, it's the one thing that if someone said, what's one thing your kids can stop doing is, is ask why, because they ask all the time, right? And, and they're taught to think very creatively. You go outside and you do imaginative play and you're thought to, you know, challenge all these things. But also as a kid, you don't have all of this built up knowledge in your brain to compare things to. That's why we, we have a different model for teaching adults versus different kids. Kids, everything's a blank slate. For adults, you always want to relate it to something that they've experienced before they can compare it to. So you then go into the schooling system. And again, nothing about the schooling system, but you know, I still remember Columbus sailed the ocean blue and was at 1492. I, I'm not to question it. If I raise my hand to the teacher and say, Miss Jackson, was it really 1493? She's probably going to think I'm being flippant and getting mad, but I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to apply that in school. It's like, there's one right answer. Don't question the teacher. And that's fine. But I don't really care if it was 1492. I want to be able to apply that. Why was that important? What else was happening during that time period that was relevant? And so you kind of go through this. And, and I think a lot of us, without knowing, kind of lose that growth mindset of, of the ability and the thought that we can still learn things as adults. And part of that is because I, I do think as we go through school, where we're put through, and not every school is the same, but we're put through systems where we don't apply those. We don't apply creativity. So we think that our, you know, intelligence is capped and it's hard for, you know, new tricks. And it, technology shows that, right? You give a kid an iPad, they're instantly swiping left. You give it to like my grandparents and they're like trying to roll the film like they would in an old Kodak. And I'm like, oh, different paradigm. Um, they don't have as much practice doing things like that because it, it, it's just been suppressed for so many years. So like, so here's the thing. Like, I get this with the kids and and there's times where I can sit down with my son and I will walk through the why as much as I can to a nine-year-old, right? And I'll actually ask him to unpack his yeah. thinking for his behavior. And, and I enjoy that, but I can't, we can't do it every single day. We can't do it every single moment. And I, but I want to be sensitive to that. But that ends up translating into the work environment, which is really where I want to go here. And so as a chief learning officer, how do you create an environment for your team to question without becoming insubordinate, without losing the objective?
objective of you know the, the the business objective or the strategic objective, because if everything we're doing as as supervisors as executives is responding to why questions, we're not going to get a lot of work done. But if we if we turn it into that kind of the traditional top down leadership, I say go, and you go, it's tacit leadership. Just don't ask questions. Just execute, right? So yeah. how can you how do you nuance the balance of that as an executive? Yeah, it, it's hard, but it's doable when you start from giving everyone a baseline of this is why we're doing this. This is how the benefits work. And we give them a few examples. So you build that culture that, again, you're not questioning people because you want to upstage your boss. You're questioning them because to your point, you want to unpack it. You want to understand why. So, you know, it's almost like, you want them to show their work. So if you build it into the processes, it doesn't become looking like a negative. So when we build out decision-making processes, one of those steps is to unpack it, is, is show your work, right? Nothing is a black box. AI shouldn't be a black box. Human intervention and decision shouldn't be a black box. So what were the steps you followed? Did you get a diverse, cognitively diverse perspective? Did you think of more than one option? How did you weigh those out? Um, will help you not feel like you're having people questioning you all the time just because it's a seniority play. It, it becomes part of the DNA. And then you roll it out, you know, in a couple projects, you show the quick wins, and then you roll it out more cohesively across the board. That works. And it doesn't work with every leader because, again, some people might not have that growth mindset or that culture. But if you have more than you do that don't those kind of have a way of, of working themselves out either they leave the company or they they finally get on the train and, and understand it for sure fantastic yeah i think that's a critical skill that we need today now more than ever is to create an environment where people can think and question uh to achieve a specific objective right so they got to be bought into the objective and asking relevant constructive questions not just random randomly questioning the way things are being done, but Absolutely. being constructive about it. And to that point, how many courses have you ever taken in questioning? Probably none, right? I mean, that that's one of the things we talk a lot when we say critical thinking, one of the steps is questioning, but we spend a lot of time on how do you ask the right questions? How do you unpack things? I love it, I love it. So you talked about growth mindset a little bit as one of the things that you really kind of push. What are some other key mindsets that you you're driving inside a click and that you're working on yourself yeah i mean i think the big things we talk about is the growth mindset that, that everyone can learn everyone can evolve everyone can grow um i'm a big fan of uh, an open mindset versus a closed mindset which is very similar a little bit different so i'm open to being wrong i'm open to new ideas that is an open mindset um, we talk a lot about intellectual humility. There is there is a lot of people that will take a poor decision to the grave and they won't admit that they were wrong because they see it as a weakness, right? And it's not a weakness, it's a strength. But until they have the open mindset to see it as a strength, um, and I don't want to use a lot of sports analogies, but there are sports teams that will stick with the million dollar star because they paid a million dollars, like the sunk cost fallacy. But then the good leaders are the ones that admit, okay, it wasn't perfect. Let's move on from it. Um, and we got to do the same thing in business. We have to be open to new ideas, open to being wrong. Um, and then I guess the other one that I use a lot is what's called the promotion mindset, which is a little bit 
I guess in the spectrum, you have growth, open, and promotion on one side, and you have a fixed mindset, a closed mindset, and a prevention mindset on the other one. Um, and the promotion mindset is it's okay to take risk. Don't play it safe all the time because in today's world, the way you do innovate is you, you see an uncertainty and you don't run away, you embrace it. But again, any process that allows you to learn what you might have missed and, and apply it future. So we see a lot of leaders who might have a growth mindset, they might have an open mindset, but they have this prevention mindset of, I'm not going to take that, that leap because I don't want to fall. I got it. Yeah, I like those. Um, you know, growth over fixed, open over closed, and promotion. What's the uh, on the other side? Uh, of prevention. Promotion? So promotion prevention, would be yeah. willing to take a chance um, versus prevention, which is I'm just gonna status quo, right? I'm just gonna play it fine. Got it. So I want to I want to pivot a little bit here. So first of all, thank you for sharing those, and and kind of take a click onto your your space, how you structure your life, your day, so that you can remain open, promotion focused, and that growth mindset, you know, essentially the adaptive, right? Those are those are actually all components of being adaptive. I would I would I would position it that way. And and so do you have any daily practices or any things that you do um, that allow you to to kind of pivot when you need to? I do. So at the, yeah, I'll start out. So I have ADHD unmedicated. And so what that means is it's hard for me to focus. So like everything I hear from everyone is, you know, take time and read a book and, and I can't sit still and read a book, but at the same time, you know, there, if I'm going to watch a 30 minute sitcom, I'm not learning. I'm not being adaptive. It's usually the turn off. So it took me a little while to figure out what to do, but what I try to do to to stay current, so to speak, is, is I'll have like a running list on a notepad like, like this, um, just showing everything that I need to work on or, or evolve. And I'll probably take a two to three throughout a week blocks that are blocked off just professional development. But instead of reading a book, I'll, I'll go on articles. And a lot of times articles, you know, they're not peer reviewed, but they'll lead to research papers. So I read a ton of research papers. Um, mm -hmm. they're dry, but they're, I, I know the data is accurate for the most part. I know they're peer reviewed and I know that they have some substance and, and a lot of times it gets at the heart of what people are blogging about, right? And the blogging might give you a high level thing. This actually funny, I'm going to say this, this explains why, right? Is it, it tells me the why. So it's important for me. So I think my takeaway is I always block off time. You know, you probably heard that before, but rather than reading a book on a single topic, I like to switch up the topics from technical to creative to educational, the psychology to, to whatever, um, kind of helps balance everything out um, at the end of do the you day. Have a favorite, do you have a favorite publication you like to go to for those, those articles? So to be honest, I've probably been to five, 600. What I do is I still access through my university is I go to their library database and I'll just type in mm -hmm. the word and I'll see 500, you know, obviously there's the human performance um, improvement HPI magazine, which I find a lot of stuff relative to today, but there's probably two or 300 that I've, I've looked at and with the digital world now, I, I don't have to go buy them and mail them and wait two weeks, like instant PDF on my screen within two minutes for most of them. So that's an interesting approach. So you have a random topic that you're curious about, you'll type it in you'll get a list of articles that you can just click on and begin to read. And, and so you do that on a pretty 
routine basis. That's, that's three to four times a week. And, and again, I'll have a list. And, and so like, you know, earlier this week I was talking, I was looking at uh, just decided to look up, you know, human intelligence versus machine intelligence. We all know one theory is machines are taking over the world. And the other theory is they'll never replace. And I'm like, okay, what's up and coming in like augmented intelligence and decision intelligence. So that's just an example I was looking at yesterday. Um, and then so are we close to a Skynet? Are we close to a Skynet yet, Kevin, or or not yet? I think we're close. Yes, we are absolutely close. And, and I do okay. not believe, after all of my research, I do not believe computers are taking over the world. I think humans are here. We just have to remember those soft forever skills to help us that are missing. Love it. And and a lot of those soft forever skills are going to like kind of come back to that questioning. Exactly. All right. Um, a little bit. Uh, talk a little bit about your book and who who. Who should really pick up your book and read it? Yeah, so the, the book started out trying to um, answer to everyone, what is data literacy? Data literacy is a buzzword now in organizations. And you read the definition, and it really doesn't explain what it is. It's, it's really everything we're talking about. It's how do you leverage data and your human brain to improve your decision? So the book goes through a process. Um, we call it the six A's that you can use to make a decision by balancing data, making sure you understand the right context of the data, get diverse perspectives, make sure you're, you're unlearning anything, you're challenging assumptions, you're mitigating any bias, um, coming up with different alternatives, and then eventually making the decision. So it, it started out for organizations, but I've heard from people that they'll use it for things that are less strategic, like um, where are we going to go on our summer vacation or anywhere where there's data, right? Tons of data on that. Um, but it doesn't always have to be work related. And again, part of it is it's not teaching you data analytics, data science. It's teaching you the questioning of data. What does it mean? So you don't have to go and build a predictive algorithm. But if someone comes back and says, you know, there's a high statistically significant chance within a 95% confidence interval, I want the consumer of that to know what that means, that 95% is not 100%. There's always some mm -hmm. risk involved. And so a lot of it is teaching probability for someone who's consuming it. What does that really mean? Because again, I, I think people will say, well, they told me to do it. Well, no, they told you there was a 95% chance that this was gonna happen. This just fell into the 5% where it wasn't gonna happen. It wasn't wrong, it was a probability. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you cover or maybe address in another way, um, prioritizing and deprioritizing, be able to look at the data components and, and in a context say, this data set or this component really should be elevated or de-elevated de um, based on the context? Do you get into Absolutely. any of that? Yeah, so I mentioned the process is six A's. The second A is acquire, and it's all about understanding what's the right data to answer the question or make the decision. And it's getting people to think about a couple of things. One, don't just look within your house or your organization, look externally, look at external factors. Don't just look at quantitative data, look at qualitative data. So do sentiment analysis online, um, ask surveys, do posts. And the, the point you're making from a technical point of view is there's lots of noise out there and we wanna focus in on the signal, what's really relevant. Um, and the word of the day, I guess, is questioning, right? It comes back to how do those people question the data sources and whether that's actually relevant to what they need to know. And it's not a binary yes or no. It's usually an interactive evolving process. You have to look at it, analyze it, 
understand what it's saying, and then maybe say it's not as relevant, so we'll deprioritize it. Got it, got it. So um, first of all, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really rich conversation. Before we wrap up though, um, could you tell our listeners if they want to learn more about you, about your organization or about your book, where could they go and find you? Absolutely. So um, you, for the book, just go to kevinhannigan.com. You'll see links there or just go to Amazon, type in the last name. Um, our company, Data and Analytics, it, it, the company is called Click. It's Q-L-I-K, not C, but Q-L-I-K. Definitely go out there. Um, tons of resources for people who want to increase their data literacy. So they can go check out our free resources there. Um, paid resources as well, but start with the free stuff, of course. All right. Yeah. So Kevin Hannigan, that's K-E-V-I-N-H-A-N-E-G-A-N.com. And the book is Turning Data into Wisdom. How can we how can how we can collaborate with data to change ourselves, our organizations, and even the world? And then uh, the organization is click qlik.com. Kevin, any final comments for our listeners on being an adaptive executive? I guess I'll, I'll use the word there. Right? To me, being a, the world is always evolving. So it's not an option. It's requirement now to be adaptive. And one of the ways you can do that is by learning things like resilience and those forever skills and always question. Don't think of questioning as uh, going against authority. Think of it as you're trying to understand why to help out the organization. It's a positive, not a negative. It's all about framing it. Excellent, Kevin. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.